Hey everybody, welcome back to PT Tech Talk Podcast. This is episode 60. And if you're looking for the intersection of physical therapy and technology, you are in the right place. If this is your first time listening, welcome and thank you so much for your time and your attention. If you've listened to PT Tech Talk Podcast before and you find this valuable, go ahead and drop us a review on iTunes to surface the podcast up for others like you. And as always, you can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube to get the up-to-date notifications on when new episodes are published. I'm Dave Kittle, physical therapist and the founder and CEO of Initial, and I'm currently working on a project with Andrew Vertson. He's a physical therapy practice owner in California and founder of PT Clinic Metrics. So quick question, do you manually enter clinic data into Excel? We're currently collaborating on a potential automation tool, again, with Andrew Vertson. And if you're interested in hearing more about that, go ahead and email me, dave at vinitial.com. So if you don't wanna spend more time on those tasks, go ahead and email me, dave at vinitial.com. As always, joined here by my co-host, Rob Vining. Rob's a physical therapist and the founder of PT Live. PT Live is a live chat that allows prospective patients to chat with a physical therapist and schedule an evaluation right inside the app. You can check out ptlive.me for more. And I was unable and unavailable to attend this recording of this podcast today. So Rob sat down with Leslie Adrian. She's a physical therapist at the Federation of State Boards for Physical Therapy. So that's fsbpt.org. And Leslie is leading the charge on the physical therapy licensure compact. And we're going to hear more. Welcome back, everybody, to PT Tech Talk. This is episode 60. Here with Leslie Adrian. She's working with the Federal State Board of Physical Therapy, working specifically on the licensure compact. And she was able to join us today to help clear up some questions that everybody might have. Leslie, thank you so much, first off, for coming on today. And why don't you give the audience just a little bit of a background about yourself, and then we'll go in from there. Well, sure. I'd be happy to. And thank you so much for the invitation and the ability to really uh, be able to talk to licensees about the physical therapy licensure compact. I know that there's quite a bit of excitement and interest that's brewing out there and people are ready to find out, you know, when am I going to be able to use this and uh, when is it coming to a state near me? So I'm excited to talk to your audience about that. I am a licensed PT. I have been for several years now. Approximately 10 years ago, I started working for the Federation of State Boards of Physical Therapy in the role as Director of Professional Standards. So uh, my role there really is to look at things post-licensure issues. So many of your listeners would be uh, familiar with the FSBPT as the people where they took their boards and they interacted with us when they took their licensing exam. But we really do more than that. And uh, we do have some of these post-licensure issues that we deal with. Things in my area are items like scope of practice, legislative initiatives, uh, regulations that are developed post-legislation to really add flesh to that law. Continuing confidence, that's somewhat in my lane, and uh, standards and requirements for foreign-educated physical therapists. So that's a little bit about what I do at the Federation. Nice. And specifically today, we're talking about the licensure compact. Can you go into a little bit about the history of that, how it came about and when it started? Sure. So the Federation has an annual meeting every year where our 53 members and um, our members are all the licensing boards of the United States that use the NPTE. So that would be all 50 states, D.C., Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands. And at our 2010 annual meeting, uh, we get together and our delegate assembly, which is um, all made up of the 53 members, um, 
they met and they started a discussion and really requested of the Federation Board of Directors, which then delegates to the staff, to look at options for a compact to be explored. At this point, nursing was really one of the only professions that had a licensure compact in place. Other professions were starting to look at it, but really nursing had been the the pioneers in this area. So not only did our delegate assembly say, you know, just the compact, but really licensure portability options, because there had been some work and some reports that come out from some of the agencies from the federal government looking at the relationship between the portability of professional healthcare licenses and access to care. The Federation looks at access to care as a public protection issue. If folks can't get the care they need, then they really aren't being as well protected as they can. So that is why the Federation has really taken this initiative on and um, moved forward with it, because we can really link it to our mission of public protection and access to care. Right. And was there a discussion about telehealth that came about like as this was being formed and created, I'm guessing it was back in 2010, so possibly not as much discussion as there might have been now. I think that we had the initial rumblings of telehealth and what the potential of telehealth was for the physical therapy community. But I would not say that that was a primary driver in 2010 to start to look at the compact. But as the research was really done over that next year and as the Delegate Assembly and the FSBPT Board of Directors really looked more and more at this licensure portability issue, we came to see that there there very much was a close tie to telehealth and really facilitating telehealth services being provided between, you know, a provider that was located in one state and a patient that was located in another. So although it wasn't a primary initiator for the compact, I definitely think that it is going to be a supporter. Definitely. Yeah. With that Parity Act, paralleling those two together, it just opens up the possibilities. Um, Absolutely. Go ahead. I was just going to say, one of the things in our compact that says right in the beginning is it talks about where practice occurs. And that has really been a big question in telehealth. And part of the compact language is to say that practice occurs where the patient, the client, whichever way you want to refer to them as, where that person is located at the time the service is delivered. Yeah, and this will streamline or at least create new opportunities for physical therapists and physical therapy clinics, you know, new income streams with the possibility of seeing not only telehealth patients in their state, but telehealth patients across state lines. That'll be extremely important for the legality of it. What are some of the interesting aspects that you've seen come about and evolve as this licensure compact has developed? Well, I think that telehealth is certainly one of the ones that has increased in its popularity and its usefulness and importance from really the very beginnings of the compact through today. People are very excited about what the implications are of a compact and, and telehealth. I think some of the other things are small private clinics that are owned with folks that have facilities in multiple states. And, you know, at first you're like, well, how does a business really do that? But then you think about it and you think of, you know, even some urban areas like Kansas City, Missouri, Kansas City, Kansas. I mean, those two are literally right next to each other. Right. It is very feasible for even a small business owner to have clinics in both of those states. 
and to not have the ability to allow your staff to move back and forth easily and with low cost with regard to licensure in order to cover events that come up, that is very difficult for folks. So we're seeing excitement from, you know, the smallest of clinic owners to large health systems and certainly some of those physical therapy traveling placement organizations and companies, they just see how much easier the process could potentially be as the compact grows. Right. I was discussing with a clinic owner who owns multiple clinics in California, and they were stating how it's so hard to get good physical therapists located outside of California to come to California because that licensure process can take three to six months to get that approval for that PT. So Mm -hmm. limits the pool that they have to draw from for physical therapists to come work with them. Another point I was wondering about, the Department of Defense has come out and said telehealth needs to be something that's big. Any specific type of aspects that would relate to that? So one of the interesting parts of the compact that's actually very specific to the physical therapy compact, and just to give your listeners an idea right now, professional licensure compacts, especially in the area of healthcare, are really booming. This is kind of a hot topic that you're seeing. So you have nursing, like I said, they actually just made some changes to theirs and now it's called the Enhanced Nurse Licensure Compact. So physicians have a compact that's moving forward. EMS has a compact moving forward. Also psychologists, that's called SIPAC. So all of these compacts, including the physical therapy compact, are moving forward and they all are written with their own nuances to best support their own professions. One of the things that the PT compact included that really is unique to us is language specific to military service members and also their spouses. It allows a military spouse or service member, if the person is working in the civilian sector, so this doesn't impact if they're working through federal agencies or on the military bases or anything like that, because that's a whole different set of laws about licensing. Uh, But if they were working in the civilian sector, they would be able to define their home state which is a key idea within the compact. So they would get a choice of how to define their home state. They could define it as the state of their home of record. Um, They could define it as the state where the service members' orders are written to, or they could define it as the state in which they are currently residing. My best example for folks that are non-military that are kind of scratching their heads right now saying, okay, I'm not quite sure how that would work, is that I myself am a military spouse. My husband is in the U.S. Army. And so his home record is Missouri. So that is one of my options. He had orders to the District of Columbia. So that would have been one of my options. But while he was on orders in the District of Columbia, we actually lived in the state of Virginia. So that was one of my options also. And by having that kind of flexibility, I could really look and say, okay, well, Missouri is a member of the compact right now. I'm going to define Missouri as my home state. And that can change the individual. They get moved, their orders get moved, and they move to a different state that allows them to take part in the compact. Then, you know, that individual can let the compact commission know and they can change their home state as a service member or a military spouse. Now, because we had this specific language specific to the military spouses or the service members, we got some interest 
from the Defense State Liaison Office, and they help to support military family initiatives throughout the states. Basically, they speak with legislators throughout the country and, and help to educate them about different initiatives that are coming through the state government favorable to service members and their families. And so we were able to create a partnership with the Defense State Liaison Office where they would really support the PT Compact, and they actually made it one of their key legislative initiatives in uh, 2016. And they are continuing in 2017 to support the ideas of compacts in general because they've seen that they really are of service to a military family. Right. And with that, it's also nice because then you have somebody that's advocating on behalf of those boards. Is it just the physical therapy profession or is it all of those professions that are looking for compacts that the defense liaison is trying to push forward in those states? So last year it was specifically the PT compact, but they really started to understand and see more of what uh, these professional compacts could do for military, especially spouses. They have moved forward now where they have more of a general platform to support professional licensing compacts. So the goal of this compact, all states would be covered. How would that look? So yes, the ultimate goal is to have all 53 jurisdictions be members of the compact. And if that were to happen, basically a person could have any of those states, any of those jurisdictions could be their home state and they could work in any other state using a compact privilege. So they wouldn't have to go through the process of licensure. They would go through the process of being deemed eligible for a compact privilege. And when that would happen, if they were to move states, they wouldn't have to worry about, well, am I in a compact member state? Am I not in a compact member state? Now that my home state has changed, am I still going to be able to take advantage of the compact or will I not? All of those worries and cares go away. And the idea of the fluidity of being able to work where you want to in a fairly quick turnaround time right now the process that we envision and have been working to develop technologically is to allow a very short turnaround. I mean, you go online, you fill out some fields, you would submit it, and you would find out almost immediately whether or not you were eligible for a compact privilege. That'll be great. And then you would be able to begin, as long as you've met the requirements from the state, you'd be able to begin working immediately. This is a question that we hadn't discussed before. So if you're not able to answer it, that's okay. If there's any sort of disciplinary problem, how would that work? So whatever state where the disciplinary issue has taken place, that state is the lead on the investigation and the disciplinary process. However, a state can only take action on whatever is given or granted. So if you're in a what's considered a remote state, so that's your non-home state, and you have a disciplinary issue there, then that state can take action against the compact privilege. Only in the home state where you hold a home state license would action be able to be taken against that license. Okay, that makes sense. The other important thing is that if there's action taken against the compact privilege, then an individual or the home state license, the individual would lose all compact privileges in all states. Gotcha. Yeah. They continue to have the right to then apply for licensure in that state. So 
so that they could continue to work there. And then that's up to that licensing board to determine whether or not they would license that individual. But you need to have a completely clean record for at least two years. That's part of the eligibility I was talking about uh, in order to be granted compact privileges. Yeah, good. I don't think anybody's really even thought about the ins and outs and the behind the scenes of what you know might happen with these licensure compacts. I'm sure that's a fear of some clinic owners and state boards just hopping from state to state without the communication between those states. And I can assure you that this is something that was thought of in depth right. prior to the Federation moving forward. And from the very beginnings of the advisory task force meeting in 2014 and starting to talk about what a PT compact would look like through 2015 and the drafting team getting together and really thinking about, okay, what is this language going to say? What do we want this compact to do? Because these groups were made up of regulators and also the professional association and and then some other um, very interested stakeholders, I would say those issues were top of mind in the drafting of the language and and really just the conception of how this compact would work. Whereas it may not be the first thing that licensees are thinking about, I can tell you that it was one of the main things that those groups were thinking about with regard to disciplinary actions and making sure that really only folks that are upholding the laws and rules of the state are the ones who really are eligible for these compact privileges. And the word privilege even resonates that thought process. It wasn't something that everyone should be able to get, regardless of what's gone on in in your history. Because licensure is always an option for every individual. Even if you can't get a compact privilege for some reason, trying to go through the usual, typical licensure process is always available to that individual. Great. Now, will there be any sort of limitations? Is it possible day one apply and get the ability to practice in all of the participating states? So compact privileges are going to be issued on a state-by-state basis. So a person would sit down and they would apply, I use the word apply loosely, but they would go in and they would identify which states they want a compact privilege for. So if I sat down on my computer and I'm looking at the day when all 53 jurisdictions are listed because they've all passed the compact, I could go through as a, as a licensed PT and I could click all 53, or I guess it would be 52 jurisdictions then that I would need a compact privilege in. I could check all of those off. I could pay all the appropriate fees and I could end up with a compact privilege in 52 states and a license in another. And I would be clear really within a, a click of a button to be able to practice in any of our states. That's great. Yeah, that's so nice to hear. If you can make the technology as easy to use as possible, it's so much simpler for everyone and having it at some central location like that. That's that sounds perfect. Well, so, your listeners can follow the process at www.ptcompact.org. It is a site that's it's going to be an independent site that's being developed right now that it's going to take you to the Federation of State Boards website and our resources on the compact. But ptcompact.org is going to be a, an independent site as soon as it's finished being developed. So what's the future of this compact look like in the next six months to a year? So right now, in 2017, we have 
14 states that have enacted compact legislation. Uh, we have an additional two states that still have legislation that's out there that's been introduced and is pending, and those are Pennsylvania and New Jersey. So folks that are out there listening from those states should keep an eye out and see the progress that's made uh, moving that legislation forward. Uh, and right now we're in the planning stages for the 2018 legislative sessions. So I would be remiss if during this interview, I don't mention our partnership with the American Physical Therapy Association. We have come together with them from the beginning of this compact project and um, worked together in order to create a product that will be best for licensees and the public. And we think that we've really gotten there. And so they do a lot of the heavy lifting with regard to the, the legislative and the, the lobbying and the, the working of that legislative process. So a lot of the state chapters, the um, national organization, we've worked with them as they've come forward and said that they have an interest in the compact. We make sure that both the chapter and the regulatory board in that state are on the same page because nothing would be worse than one or the other trying to move forward with the compact only to find out that that partner, that sister organization is not on board. That would be a, a, a terrible occurrence in the state and, and fairly embarrassing for either party. So we try to make sure that the, the board and the chapter are on the same page prior to moving forward. And so right now, APTA and the Federation, we are in discussions for the states that have come forward and said, you know, we're, we're interested in 2018. So we're starting to put a list together of those states, making sure that all parties, interested parties are on the same page and then starting to move forward with the, the planning. Was that more than the 14? Can you give us a ballpark about how many other states are actually looking to get into this? I would say I'm estimating that we'll have at least an additional five states that move forward with legislation next year. Great, great. So closing up on that 20 mark, that'll be nice. Yes, yes, a little bit be. closer to 50. <laughs> <laughs> Other than the website that I had not heard about before either, the uh, ptcompact.org, is there any other specific websites or any other ways that, that other PTs should get involved, any ways that we could help? Well, I think that anytime you're interested in an issue like this, um, I think that writing to your leadership of your, your state chapter is helpful to say, hey, you know what, this is something that we're interested in. I think keeping an eye on, there's a map at both the Federation's website and it's fsbpt.org forward slash compact, right. and then also ptcompact.org. And you'll see maps where you see the status of the compact adoption. So if your state is highlighted as a state that has legislation that's been introduced, find out, well, who's the sponsor of that? If you're in favor of it, then let your legislator, your state legislators know that you're in favor of it. That's how really legislation get passed is that, you know, they hear from their constituents that this is an issue that people are interested in. You know, get your patients involved, especially some of you northern states that have snowbirds and they take off and they go, they go south for the winter, yet they still would like to keep in touch with you regarding their care plan. And to do that, really now, you need to be licensed in both of those states. With a compact, if 
you know, the state that they snowbird in and the state that you, you live in or they, you know, they live in are members of the compact. You can easily get a compact privilege in that state and you can continue that continuity of care for the public. You know, that's another one of those public protection issues is, is the continuity of care and being able to remain with a provider that you have a rapport and a relationship with already. Certainly letting your state board know by writing or emailing to them that this is an initiative that you support, I think is something that the licensees can do also. Nice. And your your listeners, who I assume are for the most part licensees. Right. Absolutely. So when are we looking at the completed first step, that first big hurdle? What is the timeline and time frame for that? Okay. So we actually, I think, have um, gone over the first major hurdle. The first major hurdle was to have 10 states enact the compact legislation. Yeah. Per the statutory language itself, um, it said that basically the, the compact uh, becomes live when 10 states have passed it. So we hit that goal in 2017, which was nice. very exciting. Yep. And since that time, you've had the Compact Commission be developed. The Compact Commission is really the, the regulatory body made up of all of the member states that defines how the compact will work. One of the things I do want to mention to your listeners, because this is a very important point, is that when you go to work in another state with a compact privilege, uh, you still have to follow the laws, rules, and practice act of the state in which you are working. Right. So, you know, there are certain issues that vary from state to state. Um, you know, dry needling dry is needling. one that comes to mind right away. You know, direct access is another one that comes to mind right away. So if you go from a home state that let's say you're able to do dry needling, you're able to have direct access to, to patients without any type of referral, without any type of limitations, but you work in a state with a compact privilege that doesn't have that same type of, of access, well, you have to follow the laws and rules of the state in which you are working. So that is scope of practice does not change because you're coming from a different state. So that that's something that's really important for folks to understand. So now that we've got the compact commission has been formed because the compact is a law, it needs rules to go along with it that help really define that law and um, help to flesh it out a little more and give more information to individuals. So the Compact Commission is in the process right now. They've written a draft of proposed rules, and those are going to be voted on at the November 5th in-person annual meeting of the PT Compact Commission is taking place on November 5th. And so that vote will take place on rules, on bylaws. That is something that absolutely has to be put into place prior to the compact being operational for licensees. Another big part of it that has to be accomplished is the behind the scenes data system. The one that's going to make sure that the folks that are eligible are able to get compact privileges and folks that aren't eligible are not able to get compact privileges and making right. sure that all of the state members are talking to each other the right way and that disciplinary information is getting shared amongst the states in the appropriate manner. So when that data system is complete, then the first licensees who choose to apply for compact privileges will be able to move forward. And so the anticipated date for that is um, by the middle of 2018. 
Okay, great. That all sounds good to me. And I've gotten several emails from other PTs and other clinic owners asking about details. And I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea. (laughs) So it was really great. I appreciate you coming on, Leslie, to talk to us about this. Is there any parting words or anything specific that you wanted to mention that we didn't cover yet? I don't think so. I think we've really have covered the high point of what's gone on so far. And I just think that this is easy on the surface to see the benefits to the licensee. Like, oh, they're going to potentially pay less money and, oh, they're going to, you know, they're going to have less hassle and they're going to have less paperwork and, you know, they'll be able to move state to state easier or, you know, develop telehealth practices easier. But the very core of this initiative really goes back to the public and the benefits to the public. And I want to make sure that that's not something that gets overlooked. Right. We see 7% of the patient population that could benefit from our services. So, Anything that can grow that makes it more beneficial, especially with the opioid epidemic and and Mm -hmm. issues of that nature. Just allows us to get in the game at all angles and help more and more patients. Exactly. Improving access to care to those individuals that really need it. Right. Great point. For anyone who would like more information, fsbpt.org forward slash compact. Gotcha. But I really would encourage folks to just start going to ptcompact.org. Because everything that they really will need will be there. And it will, at first, like I said, it's it's going to the Federation's website right now. But once it is fully developed and up and running, it will be a freestanding site on its own. And we'll have all the information that anyone would need. It will be the most up-to-date. Gotcha. And so anyone who would have further questions individually, is there a certain person you would suggest emailing or just kind of keep a lookout at that website you had mentioned? If people want more information, they can email info at ptcompact.org and um, they will get a response from that. All right. Perfect. Leslie, thank you again for coming on the show and for explaining all of this that uh, I'm sure you probably answered uh, literally 100% of the questions that everyone's asked me behind the scenes as well through email and just chatting. So I really appreciate you coming on and hopefully we can have you on in the future. Well, I've appreciated the opportunity to really get the message out there to the licensees. This typically isn't my primary audience. I'm usually speaking with the regulatory boards and sometimes the chapters and the legislators. So this has been a fun way to reach out to the licensees and get them some more information and hopefully get them excited about the possibilities of what the compact will bring. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much again, Leslie. I appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Wow, that was really great, Leslie. Thank you so much for coming on to PT Tech Talk. For Rob and I here at PT Tech Talk, episode 60, thank you all for your time and attention. And I do, I apologize for not being available on that call, but really, really great stuff. And thank you, Rob, my co-host, for going through that. Thank you. Perfect.